Hi, this is Aaron from My Dying Bride, and you're listening to the Brutally Delicious podcast. Have a good day, everybody. Delay. No worries at all. Um, okay. Yeah, I was on the phone to my my great uncle Melvin, oh, who's no. having some email technical issues. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a really, you know, likes to talk. That's great. So I told him, "Look, I've got, a, I've got, I've got to be somewhere," and he and he just he doesn't hear that bit. He just wants to carry on talking. So, sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, how are you anyway? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm very well, thank you very much. It's lovely weather here, and I'm enjoying it. Nice. How's your daughter? She's great. She's at school today, and in fact, at the end of the day, it's the very last choir. So, as parent, I get to go down and watch her singing along. Um, and yeah, she's she's enjoying life. Uh, she's doing really well, and uh, looking forward to the summer holidays and starting high school. That's beautiful. Good for you. And my dying bride, holy cow, I keep up with you. You guys are hitting on all cylinders now, huh? Yeah, we've, we've spent a lot of time in limbo um, through no fault of our own. And we've just, we've taken a while to, to kickstart. But finally, you know, the engine's up and running and we are proceeding along the highway quite nicely now. Um, next year will be even busier. We'll have a new album out next year. Um but yeah, it just took a while to get going because obviously we had Brexit as well to deal with, right. which was just an absolute, it, it's a nightmare because we've just done a show in Belgium, um, Grass Pop. Yeah. In the past, you just get some cheap plane tickets. You fly out, you do the show, you fly back, and there's there's no paperwork really, just a passport. Nowadays, because we're no longer part of Europe, um, we've got to fill in document after document after document. Your passports are examined at the airports. Fortunately, not mine. I have an Irish passport. Um, but, but the documents we need to perform in Europe cost uh, £1,500. So we've got to buy documents. We have to pay taxes we never used to pay. So we've come back from a great gig with no money. Yeah, uh, it's not like it used to be. Right. Uh, so doing shows in Europe is proving to be quite problematic at the moment. Um, there are there are people working in the background to try and iron out these these issues. But for us, it's just, you know, it, we dread going to the airport because of all the paperwork and, and all, all the money you're going to lose. Yeah, it's just money going down the drain, um, and it's 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 just a pain. Um, but it is what it is. We can't do anything about it. We're not politicians. Um, right. I didn't vote for Brexit. I think yeah, Brexit, right. Brexit Brexit was an absolute nightmare. Um, but it, anyway, I consider myself as a European person, so I wanted to stay. Um, most of our fan base is on continental Europe. So right. um, it's where we always play, and it's just now it's very difficult. But it, And that makes it even more difficult, right, because it's already difficult to tour these days. I mean, you've got bands canceling their tours because of diesel prices and, and hotel prices. And even I've, I'm seeing things about, like, venues taking cuts of merch 
yeah, that unfortunately seems to be, um, it's not standard yet, but a lot of people, it's the bigger venues. You can still play the smaller clubs and that's fine. You just sell the t-shirts. They don't care. They're not interested. Right. They, they What they want is people in the venue. Right, drinking. Um, and there's many bands on stage as possible. Now, the bigger venues, they want 25% of your T-shirt sales. That That's a quarter of the money you make from T-shirts. And what are they doing for their part? Nothing. Nothing. Because if the bands don't play, you haven't got a venue anymore, you idiot. <laughs> right. So bigger venues, um, if they continue in this fashion, they're just going to see less and less bands coming through the doors. And then they'll wonder why they've got no business anymore. Yeah. So it's a Combine that with your Brexit, and that makes it so much more difficult than, right? Yeah, I know. Even stuff like, oh, God, Bruce, it's a nightmare. We have a merchandise company here in the UK. Mm -hmm. And again, normally in the past, if we're flying, we don't take merch. They ship it from their company to, we give them the address of the venue. It's out of our hands. Fine. If we're on the tour bus, we take them. Right. We can't do that anymore because that's, there's import and export charges and taxes to be paid, which, again, is, it's money we never right. used to pay. Now we have to pay it. And you have to fill in all the documentation. is very technical. And if you get it wrong and you've paid for these documents, you have to scrap them and do it again. Um, and because Brexit is still a relatively new thing, when you arrive at a, a, a dock or an airport, Sometimes there's nobody there who knows how to sign these forms or knows if they're correct or not. So you're just left scratching your head thinking, what, what are we doing? Yeah. Yes. And it's kind of works, I think, the other way around. When European bands want to play in the UK, they struggle to bring their merchandise in because of the same reason. So what we're having to do is get our merchandise printed in Germany. And so when we go to Europe, thankfully our record label is German. Right. So we can get them to pretty much just FedEx it to any venue in Europe. No problem. Obviously, we have to pay right. for that. Um, because we just can't get our shirts out of the UK. That's great. And we saw, we saw, um, we did a few gigs with a band called Lord of the Lost. I mm-hmm. think it was last year from Germany. And they were great. And I said, have you got any T-shirts? I want a T-shirt. And they just said, no, we couldn't bring anything in. Um, and it was it was a real shame. I know everything's kind of sorted out now because um, you need you need to have a contact on both sides of the, of the, the water. We need a T-shirt manufacturer in Europe. Right. European bands need a T-shirt manufacturer in the UK. Um, they're only obviously going to be small runs. But it, these are hurdles we never had. Yeah, Brexit has caused so much trouble, and it's it's so expensive. It's absolutely ridiculous. We've just launched a new beer in Belgium, the home of beer, <laughs> um, and of course, you know it, it's on Johnny Licker's website right now. It's called uh, Songless Bird. It's lovely. Um, he can't even send us a case um, without loads of technical paperwork. Really? And, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Um, He's working on that. And, of course, none of the British fans can buy it. Right. Uh, so it's just... It's, that it's, sucks. It, everything sucks. Everything. If you're in Great Britain, <laughs> if you're in Great Britain, everything sucks right now. Avoid. <laughs> so let's talk about My Dying Bride then. How did Grass Pop go? Was that great? 
That is amazing. It's such a well-run festival. Um, it's it's just everything is as you hope it will be. Um, the weather's been unbelievably hot recently, and I was praying for air conditioning because, um, like all festivals, it's in a field, right? And so you don't always have the services and facilities you would normally get at a you know a, a bricks and mortar venue, but. You know, Bob Bob knows what he's doing. And the backstage, we had two massive backstage dressing rooms. That's unheard of. Um, and both of them had full air conditioning, two fridges stacked nice. to the brim with cold drinks, fruit, you know, every I got in the fridge. Why not? Um, and it's just so well run. The timing is all perfect. The lighting rig was amazing. The on onstage sound was just perfect. I could hear everything crystal clear. Um the food, the food is just, it's just wonderful. You, you, you know, you kind of, you get one food ticket and you think, one ticket? Is that all? I'm a growing lad. But when, <laughs> right. when you, when you get there, it's, there's everything you could ever imagine. And you can go back as many times as you want. And it's just, it's a wonderful day out. Um, and then myself and Neil, we, we left a kind of backstage VIP area and had a wander into the audience to check out Guns N' Roses yeah. um, and Cradle of Filth on the stage we were playing. And the stage is just enormous. You know, it's, it, it looks, they've all got, the, everyone's got the big screens now. And it just, it sounded great. It looked great. A big, big thronging crowd. Um, and again, they know what they're doing. The beer tent isn't one beer tent. There's about 20 of them all the way around, so you haven't got massive queues. Right. The toilets, the toilets, and we know what toilets are like at festivals. Oh, yeah. They must have had 10,000 of them. So, again, you know, let, let's not think, let's not dwell too much on toilets. <laughs> but there's plenty of them for everybody. And that's that's what festivals are supposed to be like. Right. Um, now, I know Grass Pop's been going for a long time, so they know, they learn by their mistakes. They study the feedback and they they work with the feedback and and it works it's a brilliant festival really well run um i i just wish they were all like that yeah um, that's that's on my i've never been to a european festival but that's one of the obviously uh vakken or wacken however you pronounce it that's yeah top of my list but grass pop and hellfest are right underneath it yeah i think that were they the same weekend this i think they were the same weekend they might have been but they're not far from each other, and I think Hellfest lasts for a week, so you could you could easily go to Grass Pop for a couple of days, then hop over to Hellfest right. for a few more days. Yes, because I've got friends who are at Hellfest. Um, again, really well-run festival. Vakken is really well-run. In fact, it's difficult now, and you'll be unlucky, to come across a festival that isn't particularly well-run. Um, saying that, we are... <laughs> We're playing Prophecy Fest in Germany, which we've never done before. Now, welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not so grown up things like hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, 
um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers, think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe to Grind podcast. The, the, the strange thing about Prophecy Fest, it's in a cave. Really? So, yeah, I know. I'm thinking the acoustics aren't going to be... Yeah, I don't know what that's going to sound like. No, but it's been running a few years, I believe, and uh, with great success. So we are looking forward to that. Uh, but we're all kind of thinking, what you know, it's going to be a big cave, right? Um, and you, that's, you start to think, what's the dressing room going to be like? You know, is it yeah. just a, <laughs> you know, we're trying to, it's not going to be, you know, a cave with some straw on the floor, I'm hoping. Um, but we, I just can't imagine what the acoustics are going to be like. I can imagine a choir or an acoustic band unplugged would be wonderful, but full-on heavy metal in a cave, I, I don't know how that's going to pan out. However, I think My Dying Bride would be a good soundtrack for the cave, right? Maybe that's, yeah, I guess when you look at the bands that are playing, um, which obviously I can't remember off the top of my head, um, it, it looks like they are, they've gone that more sort of sensitive route and gone for bands that would work well with the environment. Right. Um uh, although I was amused to to see that uh, the crazy world of Arthur Brown is playing, and he's in his eighties now. Oh, really? Yeah, he's still going strong. Uh, in fact, he was at the Ard gig that I did some narration at a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I, 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 are you familiar with the, the the? No. He had a single out. Gosh, in the sixties, um, I think it was just called Fire. Fire. I want you to burn or something like that. Mm -hmm. Well, he's still doing it. He's still doing it uh, and loving it. And I'm thinking, gosh, when I'm 80 years old, I hope I'm still getting invited to festivals. Right. Even if it's a cave. Even if it's a cave. Yeah. I'm I'm thinking, you know, I I want to be able to have the ability both physically and mentally to be able to perform into my 80s. Yeah. And good on him. I can't wait to see him. So I'm going to go back to the cave real quick, and then I got another question. But um, hopefully you won't disturb the bats, right? Because all that sound may disturb bats. Maybe that's why the acoustics are so good. (laughs) If the sound amplifies outwards, their tiny little bat bodies absorb the vibration. (laughs) It could be the best sounding show in the world. So anyway, uh, 33 years I think you've been in, right? You just said you're hoping to go to the 80s. Do you ever imagine you'd even be here at 33 years? No, we knew we well. We hoped we'd be around for a decade, um, and which is kind of you know you think well, that's enough time to do a demo tape, kids demo tape. <laughs> uh, so we did the one demo tape, and uh, we sent it to everybody. They they liked what they heard, and so we were approached by Listenable Records, who um, are still around, which is great as well. Well, the, well uh, actually, their boss Lauren Mill ran a magazine called Pear Drop. And he said, we love the demo. Can we do a seven-inch single? So we thought, yeah, definitely, you know, your first ever vinyl. You know, right. it's, you know, it's the Ark of the Covenant. 
And we so we we went to record that, and Peaceville liked the sound of the demo as well. And they said, "Can we come along to the recording of your your first record?" So they came along. We recorded a couple of songs for Listenable Records, our first ever seven inch single. Brilliant. Peaceville loved the way we worked, thought we were quite professional for young guys. So they offered us the deal. Back then, Listenable wasn't actually a record label. It was a fledgling idea that Lauren Merle had. And um, it, it is nice to know that Listenable is still going strong. Yeah. And that, you know, our seven-inch single is catalog number 0001. That's great. And it, it's great to have that. Um, and and then, obviously, we signed to Peaceville, and, uh, and everything's been quite rosy for a very long time. Peaceville were great because they were – they gave us complete artistic license. Do what you want, which was good because <laughs> the first thing we did for them was a 12-minute song with a Latin title. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they were very brave and they, they were brilliant. And the only reason we moved from Peaceville to Nuclear Blast, I think we were on Peaceville about 25 years, right. was because we'd reached a kind of plateau. We'd... we'd, we'd remained on the same level for a very long time and it was a respectable level to be at um but we we felt we had a bit more and we wanted a bit more of a push and we noticed nuclear blast were doing all kinds of interesting things and we thought we well, wouldn't it be great to be on their roster yeah. and so when the peaceful contract came to an end um we we shopped around for a new label which we've always done <clears throat> the 25 years we were with peaceful we must have signed 10 contracts we just renew it because it's such right. a good it's such a good working environment. We just sign, yeah, let's keep working with Hammy. Great. Uh, and and Hammy knows that every time a contract comes to an end, the bands are going to look elsewhere. Of course, they're going to shop around for a better right. deal. Um, but he was good enough in the past to match every deal that we were offered, uh, which is great. However, it, it, it wasn't it wasn't the money. It was <clears throat> we needed to be elevated to a new level. Um, which maybe that's an arrogant thing to say, you know, who who gives you the right to think you deserve to be elevated beyond your stature. But we, we went for it anyway, and Peaceville offered us another deal, which was great. In fact, a lot of people offered us a lot of deals, which was, it was amazing to, to know that after, you know, nearly three decades in the business, still we're still relevant. relevant. Yeah. People still want a piece of my dying bride. And luckily for us, the best offer came from Nuclear Blast, which was exactly what we wanted. So we signed with Nuclear Blast. We're still friends with Peaceful. Sure. Love them for bits. And, and business is business, right. Yeah, and it, it worked. Um, we, we are playing, well, obviously, unfortunately, my daughter got ill, then COVID, then Brexit. But we know that we've appeared in sort of more magazines, you know, more people are talking about My Dying Bride because we're on a bigger platform. Sure. And we will get offered bigger festivals and more diverse festivals as well. So so we know it was the right move. Um, and we're very happy. And again, um, Nuclear Blast, when me and Andrew went to their office, we said to them, you know, you're not, you're not going to get three-minute radio-friendly songs from My Dying Bride. Right. And they said, that's why we're signing you. We don't want three-minute radio-friendly songs from My Dying Bride. We just want My Dying Bride. Carry on doing what you're doing. Right. That's beautiful. How can you ask for more? Yeah, I know. And we hear so many stories from other bands. You know, they've had so much BS with their record labels and just hard time. They hate people. They hate, they hate the industry. 
um, they've become jaded by the politics of music business. And when that happens, it takes away that that creativity that yeah. we all love. That's why we're in the business. Um, but for us, I don't know, we just sort of, um, we've never had a manager, Bruce. I think you already know that. We've never had a manager. So me and Andrew just manage the band <laughs> however however we can. <laughs> That's so, great, actually. And it's it's weird how that we've survived so long because uh, what I've just mentioned, if you if you have a manager, they should deal with all the politics, right. the tax man, the solicitors, to allow you creative freedom to continue to do what you do without getting bogged down in the technicalities. Um, weirdly, me and Andrew have absorbed all the technical, you know, garbage that comes along in the music business, which has allowed us to become a bit more wise about the whole scene. Um, and there are times. You know, particularly at the moment when we, we got back from Grass Pop, it was great. You know, the, the whole thing about Grass Pop was, you know, brilliant. And then you get back and you do the finances and you're like, shit. <laughs> I am but, afraid. But, but only, only for a very short time are you then, you know, that does, that hits, that has an impact on your creativity. And you suddenly think, oh, I'm not going to rehearsal this week. What's the right. point? Right. But then you you get back on your horse and you carry on again and you just plow on and you just think right this is the way of the world I'm not giving up we've been in it too long um, I'm just going to plow on and plow on and you know as big as the waves get we're just going to force our way through them right because you know it well you hope at least that it it will get better at some point in the future it can't remain this way um, and you just think right the grass is greener over there we've just got to keep trying to get there fair enough. I'm very excited. I was looking at your, uh, well, I keep up with you guys on Facebook and wherever, but I see that you're playing, not, you're still there. Oh, there we go. I see that you're playing um, Maryland Death Fest, which is right an hour and a half from me, two hours tops, and 70K again, which is going to be fantastic. Yeah, yeah, we're looking forward to that. 70,000 is just amazing. We did it in 2014 yeah. and in 2016, and we had an absolute blast. So, yeah, uh, we would have done it in 2020, but, you know, you, you don't want to be getting on a cruise ship when... Because, of course, the coronavirus was already a thing at the beginning of 2020. We didn't have lockdown till March, but it was it was those close, closed environments where the virus was kicking off. So we're kind of thinking we're not getting on a cruise ship. I was on lockdown. that one, and I remember getting off it, and, like, the whole world within, like, two weeks or three weeks from disembarking shut down and was like what the yeah. hell happened but anyway 2024 we're back on the cruise ship um i believe it's going to the dominican republic yeah 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 so never been because obviously the first one was grand cayman second one was jamaica but that was great because we got off and we we just grabbed a cab and we said take us to montego bay we want to chill out at montego bay so yeah. we got there of course it's bob marley's birthday that's right. I remember being there then. Yes. Yes. So we're, we're just bobbing around in the sea, drinking cans of Red Stripe, and yep. listening to Bob Marley and thinking, well, what a wonderful world. Yeah, who's little got it we, better? Yeah, little did we know what the future held. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. And then So it, we're looking forward to 20,000, yeah. 20, 70,000 tonnes. That would be great. Um, it, 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 it's, a, it's a great concept as well because it allows – the fans much closer access yes. bands and i don't think i don't think the organizers 
will book a band that you know are kind of arrogant and they don't want to they don't want to mingle um, because it's about mingling. You know, you don't want to stay in your cabin for the no. whole. You know, it's ridiculous. And so it's like it's like the whole ship is a backstage area. Yeah. Everyone's got access to everybody, and and I like that. You know, I, I like that. There are moments when you you know you can you can find a, a moment of peace and tranquility because there's a thousand bars on board. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes it's nice to just remove myself just for a couple of hours from the hullabaloo and just sit and read a book with a glass of wine and yeah. just look out the window and wonder, just wonder, how did I get here? Yeah, and then you you know you you put your book away, and then you get back into the throng, and you're signing autographs and having your photo taken, and it's fabulous. It's, it's, it's a great. It's a and great. And I think for the most part, the fans are pretty good, right? I mean, I've gone every year but one, and they've all been, from what I've seen, fairly decent to the artists, right? If you're eating, nobody's really bothering you. I don't think. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's absolutely fine. It's, we've never had any trouble whatsoever. Yeah, probably because not many people have heard of my dying bride still. <laughs> They're all looking at the bigger bands, and we we kind of skulk about in the shadows, um, which is you know perfect for us. And I saw you main stage. Yeah, you guys played the big stage, the pool deck. Yeah, we we always get invited there, which is great. Um, I think we were the last band to play that back in 2016 because the weather started to get a little bit choppy, and they had to close the top deck, which meant right. a lot of reshuffling for all yeah. the other venues. Because every band that was supposed to play up there is now somehow going to be shoehorned into performing in the smaller venues, right. which are already full of bands. <laughs> so everybody had to cut their sets short in order to, you know, to get everybody in. Which I, I didn't hear anyone complaining about that. Um, even Cradle of Filth. Now I know Danny's had a lot of bad press, but even he was he was like, "Yeah, great. We have to lose three or four, not three or four, two or three songs from our set to allow other bands to get on this stage." And he was like, "Yeah, whatever. Let's let's keep the thing running." And it was absolutely great. So everybody sacrificed a little bit of what they 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 brought along to the show to give everybody an equal opportunity to be right. able to perform. Um, and it, it was great. And um, I mean, the, the water doesn't get very choppy out there. I mean, you're in the Caribbean. You're not really in the open ocean. Right. You can nearly always see land, so it's 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 fine. Yeah. Um, so yeah, really looking forward to that. And then Maryland Death Fest, have you guys played there before? Yeah, we did that. Um, gosh, was that 2016? I can't remember. Um, that That's a bit more punishing because obviously it's 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 something like a six or seven hour flight. Yeah. You kind of arrive on the Friday, you do the gig on Saturday, and you're heading off home on Sunday. That's it's, rough. It's, it's, a big, it's a big old hall, um, but... It, it's great, you know, when we went there. It's that's weird. It's a weird location, mm -hmm. um, but um, you know, it, it is what it is. But again, it's it's well organized, from what I remember. Yeah, um, it's just such a whistle stop trip for us. You know, it's it's almost like when when you return home, it's almost like a bit of deja vu. It's like did that happen? <laughs> I'm not sure if that actually happened. right. All the jet lag and everything else, <laughs> yeah. right? You wow. spend 12 hours to and fro on aeroplanes and one hour on stage and, you know, you scratch your head a bit and say, is it worth doing this? But we're doing Mexico as well. Uh, and again, Mexico is even further. That's like a 12-hour flight. And that's just a fly in and fly out? Exactly. Wow. So it's it's it, it seems madness and it probably is madness, but it it, it it's just... It's just 
you need to get the word out. You need to you need to try and get into the territories we don't often perform, right? Um, because the fans the fans love you. You know, the Brazilian fans have been screaming at us to play Brazil since since about nineteen ninety two, and we've been once, which is outrageous. Um, and the problem is, of course, you know we, we have a we have a promoter, and we say to the promoter, look, all the Brazilian fans are screaming for us to go to Brazil. Sort it out. And then he does the maths and he comes back and said, yeah, you can, let's all go to Brazil, right? We'll do five shows in Brazil. By the time you get home and do the math, you, you down 20,000 pounds. Right. Um, because it, it's fine having very enthusiastic fans who want you to go. But when you realize some of the clubs are tiny and therefore their finances are not big. And I mean, we don't need much. I mean, obviously there's six in the band, which is a bit big, really. Um, and then we've always got a couple of crew members, so you, right. that's eight plane tickets, um, probably four hotel rooms because we can share. It's just the, the logistics of it isn't cheap. And when our promoter says to the Brazilian or anywhere, you know, we've never been to Japan, we've never been to Australia, when he presents them with, right, we need this figure in order to come over there and do some shows, and they look at that figure and say, it's not happening, right? And it, it's uh, I don't know how to correct that um, because that's with us having like the the tiniest profit ever, which right. the UK taxman is going to take off us anyway. You, you know, we're not we're not travelling first class, and we don't want fancy hotels. Right, At even bare minimum, we can't do it. And I, I see, I see other bands doing these venues, these places, these territories, and I I I think to myself, right. There's two reasons. Or, or, or there's two reasons they're doing that. One of them is someone in the band is very rich and is funding this. But the second one is they're doing it because they're crazy, and when they get home, they're going to realise they've got no money whatsoever, and they're in <laughs> debt, and they might be in debt for the rest of their lives. Right. However, they've had the experience, and what price can you put on an experience? So. We have this slight internal argument within the band where we should say, no, let's just do a world tour. Let's just let's go crazy. Let's fly to Japan, do a couple of gigs there, down to Australia. They're only this close on the map. <laughs> do Australia, maybe pop to New Zealand. It's stuck to Australia. <clears throat> fly across to South America, work our way up, go through the States into Canada. Um, across. Yeah, and just just do that. Dead easy. Um and then reality strikes right. and, and you know you come tumbling back down to earth but um we do what we do we, we are trying everybody you know we, we do try to get to other territories it's just unfeasible for this band at this yeah. state right now sweet so i've only got two more for you and then i'll let you go first uh, you said you're working on new material have you guys Ooh. started that already oh yeah well into it i think we've got eight complete tracks there's a little bit of ironing out. Was that a too. double album then? Eight tracks of My Dying Bride? Well, we, um, <laughs> it, it will be. It, it, um, we are trying to create enough material so that when we go into the studio, we record everything, which will allow us to release an album and then maybe in six months or a year to do an EP, which we've already recorded. It's All exactly, from the same session. Exactly. Yeah. What we did last time, when we did um, The Ghost of Orion, we recorded everything, released the album, 
Eight months later, we released Macabre Cabaret EP, which was recorded exactly the same time. Oh, so nice. An extension of the album. Um, and, you know, you, you sometimes can have a... You're, you, you've made yourself a problem there. Which songs do you pick for the album? Which do you leave on the shelf for later on? Now, as songwriters, it's impossible for us to choose. So we sent all the music to Nuclear Blast, and we said to those guys, right, well, we knew which song needed to open the album, and we knew which piece needed to close the album, and we knew what we wanted in the middle, but apart from those three, do what you want. So we left it up to those guys, um, and we'll do that again this time, because you're not going to... You can't... You, say you've got ten songs, and you only want eight on the album. I can't pick the two it's almost like the sacrificial right and also you got six people that are doing the same thing yeah so i can't do that so we just record enough material and then we hand it over to the record label and as i say if, if we've got something we definitely know is an opening track we'll specify that and give them free reign to release whatever they want so we're right. about eight songs in at the moment we've got perhaps there are a couple more it's, it's a bit like a jigsaw there's several bits of other songs and we just need to put them together in a recognizable format. Um, and we're probably going to have 10 songs and um, we haven't booked a studio yet, but we really need to get a wriggle on. Um, there's no release date, obviously. Um, again, Nuclear Blast, a bit like Peaceful Records. They're not, you know, they're not hammering us for a deadline constantly. It's They're very flexible. Um and so, it's, you know, we, we record it when we're ready. But I'm guessing it's going to come out at the latter end of next year. And if not, early 2025. I know that seems like a very long way away at the moment, but it's just that's the nature of the business. You know, we, yeah. we deliver an album and the, the, the record label can't physically release it until a, a certain period. Sure. Um, and we've all heard about the stories of the, um, you know, the vinyl pressing plants. So, Big behind, know, yeah. Yeah, the way behind it. The vinyl's taken off like... Yeah. It's more popular now than it was when it was invented, <laughs> um, which is crazy, uh, but great. Um, but that that adds its own problems to the to a, to a, to a release date. Um, so yeah, we we're loving the new music, absolutely loving it. I need to find an artist for the front cover, and actually, uh, Roberto, who did the Macabre Cabaret, the very last record we released, is stunning. I loved his work, so I'm probably going to approach him again. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he really gets into it. You can't just say, give us an album cover. He wants to read all the lyrics. He wants a chat that's about good, it. though, right? Yeah, he wants to get right inside your head, and that's great. And uh, so so I'll, I'll go down that journey with him um, at some point, perhaps towards the end of this year. Um, but, yeah, so uh, we're very much underway with the writing. Beautiful. So last I had was... Um... Why can't I think Paradise Lost? You guys got some gigs lined up with Paradise Lost too, right? Yeah, we've known those buggers for years yeah. and years and years. Uh, I was at that. I was. I think I was at their very first rehearsal, which was somewhere in the Halifax area. Um, I don't. I don't remember the date. Possibly mid nineteen eighties. Something. Were they like on that. the same ship as you guys in sixteen? Because I know I yes. saw them. Yeah, I thought so. Right? Because I. Yeah. I had it interviewed was great. Yeah. 
It was because there's there was an English bar aboard, or we, yeah. we made it we made it into an English bar. <laughs> right, right. Because it was full of My Dying Bride, Paradise Lost, um Cradle of Filth. Um, yeah. and just it was just a great environment. So yeah, we and we, we know Paradise Lost manager, but I was just chatting to him yesterday, the day before. Um and the the venue in Bradford in the north of England is it's St. George's Hall. I saw Metallica there on the and Justice for All tour. Wow. And it's a great, it's an old school. It's not a venue, it's a theatre hall. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got, your, you know, the stalls, and I think it has three balconies. And I never imagined I'd be playing there. I mean, all right, we're supporting another band, but still, I'm going to be treading the boards of, yeah. you know, the, the same venue. And and I've heard that the London tickets are selling like hotcakes. Um, so I, I think it's going to be an absolute blast. You know, we did some gigs with them a few years ago with Anathema as well, and it's just great. They're just old friends. Right, that's nice. You know, it's just nice to be in their environment, and you just endlessly talk about, oh, yeah, I was sat next to Ozzy Osbourne, and, you know, oh, yeah, well, I was yeah. sat next to Jimmy Page. And it's almost like you're trying to top each other with your crazy stories about right. who you've that's met. That's cool, though. Yeah, it's great. And it's all done very much with tongue in cheek. You know, there's no bitterness. There's no angst. It's just, you know, because we, we appreciate the fact that we're we're a couple of noisy Yorkshire bands who have made some waves in the world. Yeah, and that's quite a nice thing to, to do. So, yeah, looking forward to those. They'll, they'll round off the year quite nicely, I think. Yeah. Well, cool. That's going to bring me to the end. Sweet, man. I can't wait to see you guys here in, uh, well, six months, right? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it's uh, you'll be on the cruise ship, right? Yeah, absolutely. First beer's on me. Brilliant. It, the, 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 it's so massive. I won't see you till the last day, and I'll be, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be parched with thirst. Yeah, you know it. <laughs> Good luck with the uh, with your summer tours here. Be safe. Thank you very much. Appreciate Glad it. Your daughter is doing well, and it was great seeing you as always, my friend. Yeah, cheers. Thank you very much. Cheers. Call me anytime. See you later, buddy. Yeah, you're always on board for anything weird that I do. I appreciate it. Cheers. We'll do another cooking one soon. Absolutely. Thanks, my friend. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or were nothing more than a One Hit Blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.